let's talk some ball. Well, uh, my first thing I wanted to know is how you felt about, I know we're both uh, friends of Bernie, or at least we, you know, we follow hang, him. Hang on, He's, hang on, hang on. We got to do like the intro, right? Got to do the intro, huh? <laughs> I don't know, do we? Well, what, what kind of intro would you like to do? Well, maybe we should explain to people what we're doing. <laughs> we can explain to people what we're doing. This is the uh, the new Pitchers at Eighth Radio. I guess we're we're branching out, if you will. Uh, yes, the Pitchers Hit Eighth podcast, if you will. Um, maybe we'll have to come up with a catchy name for it. Uh, I'm sure that won't be a that won't be a problem. But for now, uh, maybe we'll call this version 0.5. 0.5. Yeah, we're not we're not quite to the 1.0 stage yet. We are uh, working out the kinks, and uh, okay. So now, by all means, let's talk baseball. Talk a little uh, about obviously the big topic and the fact that everybody's got their own opinion. I'm curious to see which uh, which spectrum you fall in. Obviously, something needs to happen with Franklin. I think everybody can admit that. Uh, you know, I, at the risk of sounding like a little bit of a lemming, um, I, I, I was had a little back and forth with Steve Summer of yeah. uh, Gas House Graph. Steve's a really, really brilliant dude, so I tend to agree with him as much as I can. Um, and it is Steve's opinion, and... It, Given his sabermetric leanings, I'm, I can't say I'm terribly surprised, but uh, given the lack of a true, true shutdown, get out right-handed and left-handed hitters equally uh, closer in the Cardinals organization, he's of the opinion that they should just go strictly leverage who's the best man in the best situation uh, use Miller to get out left-handers in the ninth, and use uh, Mott, I'm sorry, not Mott, Mitchell Boggs was the person he chose uh, for the highest leverage situations against right-handed hitters. I think it's a fabulous idea. I think uh, it, <laughs> he said that's what he would do. Uh, his fear, and, and it's certainly well-founded, given what we've seen from Tony La Russa in recent years, is that... Uh, "Quote unquote veteraniness, uh, which is a well-known uh, favorite trait of Tony Larusa's, uh, will win out, and Miguel Batista will be the guy closing games. And frankly, that scares the Jesus out of me. I don't see much of a change, honestly, between Batista and Ryan Franklin, except uh, both of them. I think have pitched." In the in the past few years, they've pitched better than what we'd expect. This. Well, it's, it's funny hard. that you say that because Steve brought that up too. He, uh, it wasn't the typical, and and I retweeted a link to his post earlier today. And and if you haven't, folks, check out GasHouseGraphs.com. Uh, great stuff over there from those guys. In his post, he was very specific. He made a point to say Franklin belongs in the Cardinal bullpen but he belongs there in the job that Batista's got now not as the closer which I, I found interesting and, and 
thinking about it really hard. I could see Franklin holding down that role, the the guy who has to eat up innings in a blowout, or or the guy who has to come in early when a when a starter's got his pitch count too high. Jake Westbrook. Um, I could see Franklin in that role. I could see him being successful in that role. After all, he was a starter at one point in time. Now you know his conditioning obviously is a little bit different, having been in the closer role, but. Um, I could see Franklin in the bullpen. I can't see him see him being the closer anymore. He I, he has to, uh, and if you look up north a little bit, uh, Joe Nathan did the same thing. Obviously, he's coming back from an injury. That's different in the, the the case with the Cardinals and Ryan Franklin. But there are a lot of similarities in the fact that usually a, a veteran pitcher knows if he's got his his a game going and and i think what impressed me so much with franklin is he kind of had that ability that even if he didn't have his best stuff he just he could figure out a way to get him out i mean he'd make it uh, i'll be more interesting than anybody wanted to see but what he did do was he was successful in getting the guys out in the ninth, which is ultimately what you want from a, from a closer. Granted, he doesn't have that overpowering stuff, but also look at why he was brought to the Cardinals in the first place. Cardinals pretty much just took a chance on him. St. Louis gave him a, I don't, I don't, I, I'd have to go back and look. I don't even think it was a guaranteed contract. He, I know he wasn't guaranteed a spot in the rotation or in the bullpen. He was kind of just given a, you know, almost kind of like Batista this year. I don't think he was a non-roster invite, but nobody would have predicted when he came to the team that he would have ended up holding down the closer spot for as long as he has. That doesn't mean that he's it's passed him by. I, I do definitely think he needs to be in the bullpen, but this is the, the point I made with uh, C70 Daniel this morning is the guy that probably would have been getting first crack at this, if you know, of course, everything happens for a reason, and you know, we're having to go at the 2011 campaign without Wainwright. But the guy that reminds me the most of Franklin is Kyle McClellan. You know, doesn't have overpowering stuff. He doesn't have that you know out pitch that you look at and say, man, that's just a, a great slider. Or his fastball is just top notch. But what he does, he just seems to be able to get guys out, whether it's pitch to contact or it's just, you know, having faith in your ability of what you can do well. And right now, the I don't know if you want to call it bullpen by committee, if you want to see if Boggs is the guy. What I worry about is what they did with Mott before Franklin took back over and, and said, okay, Mott, it's yours to run with and a couple of bad outings and it pretty much threw him on his ear for most of that year, a couple campaigns ago. Well, to that end, I think uh, I think they have learned their lesson a bit in that um, even as successful as he's been in his first couple of outings, I don't think Eduardo Sanchez is really entering the discussion here. And I, no. I think that eventually he will. I think he's going to force his way into the discussion before uh, it becomes a matter of, should we be looking at this guy? Um, but it, that time is not right now. 
everybody's really high on him because he's pitched well, and myself included. I the the his ceiling, I think, right now is is very high, and he's still got a lot of room to go to reach it. Uh, but that being said, thrusting him into that role now, I think, would be very counterproductive. Um, going back to Franklin for a minute, uh, you know, the thing about Franklin, you and I have discussed this before, is that you're right, he's never been the overpowering guy, he's never been a strikeout guy, he's never been your prototypical closer, but what he always was, was able to hit his spots. He was always on the black, um, and and he was always, strangely enough, seemingly surprising hitters with his, with his pitches. Uh, and so the one aspect of a closer that he had and that he was able to do for one inning is pinpoint accuracy and, and the control that he had and that's how he was successful that's how he got guys out he doesn't have that control now he's up in the zone he's missing his spots um and and with the lack of an out pitch or, or any real power pitches to speak of uh he's not going to get guys out um and finally, I'm kind of hopscotching around to, to the points you were making while I was listening to you. Um, I mentioned my discussion with Steve Summer last night on Twitter. Uh, and uh, and as I mentioned earlier, he was discussing the, the lack of someone who really, truly can get both right-handers and left-handers out. As I told Steve, and, and I'm not going to go on, on one of my diatribes because, knock on wood, Uh, still early in the season and, and a small sample size of I believe he's made what three starts now Kyle McClellan's definitely proven me wrong about his ability to pitch in the rotation now his uh, his stamina over the course of a season and the wear and tear on his arm we'll see um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic I think uh, slowly working into the big leagues the last couple of years and, and learning how to be effective has been good for him but I'm getting off track here. Uh, I told Steve Summer on Twitter last night, I said the one guy that they have on their roster that that seems to be that prototypical can get righties, can get lefties. He's been phenomenal against lefties as a right-handed pitcher. That guy's Kyle McClellan. Um, and Steve, again, very brilliant guy, uh, shot back that, you know, that while he agreed, uh, Without doing all, without running all the numbers, he uh, he postulated that uh, McClellan in the rotation and some combination of guys brought in to get specific hitters out in the ninth, or or any combination of players that they have in the bullpen right now, are likely more valuable than McClellan closing and Lynn being in the rotation. Uh, I'm still high on Lance Lynn. I still think he has a spot in the organization's future. Uh, I, th I, I thought that was a great argument from Steve. I thought it was pretty hard to argue with. I, I actually, uh, you know, and, and again, Nick, you've hit on a, a bunch of good points, but it does bring up your conversation with Steve is a lot like mine with uh, with Daniel 
and uh, the UCB uh, Godfather himself gave me some good back and forth in the fact that the rotation has, I think, surprised everybody, including the guys that are in it themselves. Except when you look at the top two, you know, Carp had that one really bad outing, and, and like you said, Westbrook just hasn't, you know, because he, he came in um, late last year like he did, I, I will be the first to admit that I don't know much about how he starts off the seasons. I don't know if he uh, takes a little bit to get going or, you know, he's had his fair share of arm trouble like pretty much everybody in the rotation has. But the one guy that stood out, possibly even more than McClellan, if you're looking at a guy that's just staying towards his strengths, and that's Kyle Loesch. And if that's partly what he's gone through the last couple of years, if that's, uh, you know, the mastery of Dave Duncan in spring this year, you know, kind of preaching the same thing to all five of them is, look, you know, you don't need to go outside of what you're, you don't need to try to be a pitcher that you're not. You know, everybody knows what Jason Mott's going to bring to the table. There's no reason for him to try to, to overpower anybody, but there is a reason for him to throw at 95 and not trying to notch it up there to 98 or 99. He's a much more balanced pitcher and he can actually be effective at 95. The same thing with Boggs. He's a much better pitcher out of the bullpen, but he, he can't forget what he used as a successful starter, you know, and I, that's what I like about how the Cardinals are taking, uh, you know, some of their guys that they drafted as high rising closers and they're kind of stretching their arm out a little bit to see if heck, you know, if they can be a good starter, why not use those tools? They can always go back to closing later. That's kind of the, you know, fallback, if you will. I, I don't know if Lance Lynn is going to get, the opportunity to show what he needs to in St. Louis before being traded. And, and the reason why I say that is if you look at, obviously Wainwright's not going to factor into this year and probably not much of next year, but if, and of course it's a big if, you, you have to look at how the last couple of years have panned out. Obviously there's going to be a spot where a, a, a number six guy like Lance Lynn is going to have to come in and contribute a little bit. But if you look at the five guys that got in the rotation now, if some, I don't see any way that they don't pick up Chris Carpenter's extension. I just don't. I have a hard time thinking that if he's successful on on any level this year, he doesn't have to have a top three Cy Young finish. I just, it's hard for me to to think that he won't be in a Cardinals uniform next year. And if that's the case, well, wait a minute. You're making two distinctly different arguments there. I know. But, and I'll let you to to chop them up here in just a sec, but what I guess my point <laughs> is I, I have a hard time thinking that there's going to be a spot in this year's rotation or next year's for Lance Lynn based on what I see from the you know horizon of Cardinal starters. But <laughs> I, I'm sure you're about to tell me why I'm wrong. Well, no, actually, first of all, partner, uh, excellent segue. Um this is why I love talking ball with you, uh, yeah. because you just, we were done with Franklin, right? I was done yeah. with Franklin. You <laughs> were clearly done with Franklin, and, and we yeah. just, on to the next. Uh, 
we have talked about Chris Carpenter before. I, I don't know. I don't recall whether it was on the record or, or just you and I. Probably both. BSing. Um, I. The reason why I uh, I cut you off there and, and I say that there are two distinctly different arguments there because mm-hmm. is because uh, I I don't think that the Cardinals would pick up this Carpenter's option, uh, but I also don't think that necessarily means that he's not with the club next year. Um, I could. I can foresee a scenario that either uh, either a, a new deal is worked out prior to the end of this season. Um, you know, to my knowledge, there haven't been any uh, negotiation deadlines set by Carp's camp. Uh, I think that's I think that's strictly a Danny Lozano uh, negotiating ploy. <laughs> Um. So, uh, frankly, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see a new deal worked out. I don't. If that's the case, I don't see him going any longer than, uh, again, a reduced amount at next year. I really don't see him paying him fifteen million dollars next year, especially if they're if they're going to wind up re-upping with Pujols. Um. And there's a little, there's a little part of me. Uh, a sinister little desire to see Carp close. And they're not going to pick up his option to do that, but if they can renegotiate with him for eight mil a year for the next two years, maybe even the second one is another club option or mutual option. I... I get kind of giddy thinking about that mean streak in him coming into the mound in the ninth inning. Uh yeah, you've you've been on that bandwagon before, and uh, I, I never, I never fully saw it just because I, 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 there is a part of me that I'd like to see kind of that, you know, there's a lot of to me there's a lot of similarities between John Smoltz and Chris Carpenter, but the similarities stop and that Smoltz has that experience. Well, and he still provides value as a starter. There's no doubt. Oh no, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the only the only reason the Cardinals were able to even think that they could compete this year is because there's not that much of a drop off from Adam Wainwright to Chris Carpenter. Obviously, you'd rather have them one and two, but I don't think anybody expected Wainwright to be this good of a pitcher, where he would knock Carp off of that number one perch because that was you know that was his spot for you know years so the only well, thing that to i be worry fair, about is, the discussion was never about what no. they were going to lose going from wainwright to carpenter as the ace of the staff no what are they losing going from carpenter to who's number two now uh i i don't think Obviously, we could say who's number two based on performance to date. At least in my opinion, we can. Um, but uh, over the long haul, whether that's going to remain true or not, we'll see. Um, I, I got to tell you, I you brought it up a little bit ago. I love what I've seen out of Kyle Loesch, and, and I... 
again, it's easy to sit here and just spew out ideas that you have in your brain and that have a 50-50 chance of, of being right. But I was optimistic about Kyle Loach before the season. I remain optimistic, especially after his hot start. You know, I don't think it's a flash in the pan. I don't think he's going to have and, – and you can go back, and I'm, I know I'm on record with this – He's not going to have 2008 success, but he's not going to have 2009, 2010 failure either. No, no. He, uh, I, I think the one good thing about Kyle, probably more than anything else, is never having been on the disabled list, he now understands what it's like to be what I consider a true pitcher. He's never really had to deal with the adversity that comes with not knowing if you're going to be able to do it again. You know, Chris Carpenter has been through that. <laughs> I don't know how many times, you know, Adam Wainwright, I think this is going to make him a stronger pitcher. Um, you know, Garcia, he's been questioned before. Same thing with Westbrook. And obviously Kyle McClellan came, you know, uh, this close to being out of the organization. And to me, I mean, that's, that fires his hunger. And that's what I see from Loesch this year is he's not scared of failing anymore because he didn't know if he'd be able to get back to this level. And, you know, it's early, of course, but I've seen Kyle now in a couple of instances, even that one game that he, you know, gave up the four-run inning, the last couple of years, that, that would have just, and possibly even before that, that might have just, you know, just sapped all the the life out of him or just, you know, changed it, and I don't see any any change from him. <laughs> I hate to throw this out there. He might, by the end of the year, he might be your number two guy, and him and and uh, and Jake might have to flip flop because I really like keeping Garcia as your number three. But you know, that's strictly because I kind of like the lefty being in the middle. But a lot can happen between now and uh, and summer. But I really like the. The mental, the mental game that that Loesch is taking out there. He knows what his qualities are, and he's got faith in his defense behind him. And uh, you know, uh, and he's got Dave Duncan in his ear. Oh God! And that's, I I never, I think Kyle got a bad reputation, and that's really hard to get rid of, especially in uh, as a starting pitcher, as a guy that uh, kind of like Jason Marquis in a way where you know he was going to do it his way and and he might take a little bit of constructive criticism but he wasn't going to change in what he does and i don't know if if that might have dog loach a little bit i'm sure it did in minnesota and as a guy that got traded a few times after that you know i don't know if that <laughs> if, if that helps or hurts but after everything he's been through the last couple of years you got to root for the guy now you know, the thing that's fascinating to me about Loesch, and this really doesn't have much of anything to do with his performance and what's going on with the season, but can you believe next year is the last year of his contract? The four-year, $44 million, no trade that before the ink was dry, everyone was lamenting it, and he still maintained through no fault of his own you know, a guy who had never really been hurt through his entire career and 
lands on the disabled list with a just an off-the-wall injury and, and a surgical procedure that's really, for all intents and purposes, experimental. You know, that poor guy, just bad break. And uh, it's amazing to think that next year is the final year of that contract already. Exactly. You know, uh... So, of course, he'll win 20 games next year. Well, he'll probably win 20 games, but uh, much in the same aspect of, you know, the the one difference between you and I with Carpenter, I'm not saying they're going to they're going to pick up his his extension and just kind of leave it at that. But I think what they're going to do is they're going to not not give him the Matt Morris treatment. But I think both sides realize that there's not going to be another 15 mil per season contract in his future. Oh, no doubt. And uh, when you look at the fact that you do have guys like Lance Lynn, and obviously, Shelby, you know, Shelby Miller's on the horizon. And, you know, really it only takes one or two, you know. Um, all it really takes is one guy and one of those guys, you know, one of the Kyle Loches or the Adam Wainwrights who, you know, we hope is going to have a nice, uh, a nice extension coming before his deal elapses at the end of this year but you only got five spots in the rotation if if carp was willing like you said to to possibly slide in there as a uh, a closer guy or a long man or something like that that's that's a completely different story for a different time as an effective starting pitcher like he still is i have i have a hard time thinking that he couldn't have success on the open market when you're looking at a guy like in a completely separate situation cc sabathia is gonna pretty much leave i think it was something something insane like 90 million on the table because he knows he can go out there and sign an even bigger deal because he can be the the king of free agency again and if i'm chris carpenter and i'm chris carpenter's agent i'm thinking yeah he's happy in st louis but if, if the cardinals aren't willing to pick up his 15 million dollar option heck i'll go somewhere else and make buku more bucks even though i might not be happy with the team that i'm playing for i don't see i don't see chris carpenter being that type of a guy and that type of a player but you know for a guy that uh is no spring chicken it's hard to it's hard to to kind of look at possibly coming towards the end of his career or getting closer to it and wondering what his mindset is i think we're saying the same things yeah we are (laughs) <laughs> doesn't surprise me <laughs> um, but I also think in a, in a roundabout getting back to a roundabout way of what we were discussing what I think we were discussing you talk about Kyle Loge and the end of his contract coming up and, and maybe I totally missed what you were getting at but um, you're right Carpenter's contract ends Carpenter and Kyle Loesch, obviously, are two completely different pitchers. So, yeah, they're going to work with Carpenter. Loesch's contract ends 
I don't see them working as hard, even at a reduced rate, to sign him because, in my opinion, uh, whatever age Loach is going to be after next year, you know, what, 32, 33, I believe. I'll double check just to be sure. I don't want to spread any misinformation here. Um, at the end of next season, he'll be 33. There's no difference to me, assuming uh, a continuing path of development for Lance Lynn. I think the opportunity cost between a however many millions, he's not going to command the same 11 mil a year that he's getting now, but however many millions a Kyle Loesch will... Uh, demand for 2013 and beyond versus a minimum salary mid-20s Lance Lynn. They're the same pitcher. They're innings eaters. Or at least Loesch was before his arm failed him. Um, and again, knock on wood, he hopefully will be again this year. Um, at any rate, we're talking about some things a little ways into the future at this point. Let's talk about um, let's talk about Puma. Well, <laughs> going from uh, one lance to another is, uh, and as we've talked about, and we've both written about, small sample size early in the season. Those can all get thrown out the window when you're talking about a guy that's had the type of career that Lance Berkman's had. And, you know, Joe Strauss from the Post-Dispatch had the the perfect, you know, outlook of it where even he was skeptical. He was skeptical with the Cardinals making that move. He was skeptical about what Berkman would bring to the team and especially what his play in the outfield could do. So we went down there and saw what he was doing, what he was doing to get himself back in shape how he had completely changed his mentality given the fact that Houston pretty much turned its back on a guy that was was the franchise with, you know, the killer bees down there. And and <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying the Astros are uh, changing their tune now, but I can also promise you that the Cardinals, <laughs> you know, um, wouldn't change anything given the money they gave to him or the fact that uh, both sides have single-handedly helped each other get to a point where I didn't think it was going to be possible. How can you look at the start that the Cardinals had to the year and now you look, even after a couple of those just hard, hard to, to even fathom losses, and the Cardinals are one of the loosest teams out there. Uh, well... I think it's safe to say that the Bronx did not agree with Puma. Um, I think it's also safe to say that he feels comfortable being back in the NL Central. I think he feels comfortable in the Cardinals clubhouse, and I think that uh, I think that everyone else uh, on the Cardinals probably feel the same about him being around. Um, you and I talked a little bit uh, 
earlier, uh, kind of uh, quote-unquote off the record, if you will, um, about the turtleneck thing. Uh, that's just something that we wouldn't have seen out of last year's club, I, I, I feel like. No, um, no, not so, at all. And so um, for all the talk in the offseason from uh, John Moselak in the front office about remaking this clubhouse, and it was... I, I think we could fairly say that it was a it was a concept that was somewhat mocked. Maybe mocked is not the right word, but folks kind of looked on it like, well, okay, you're making an excuse for why the team uh, failed to meet their goals in 2010 and, and why the season was more or less deemed by most as a failure uh, because the Cardinals didn't make the playoffs. So with the admitted lack of resources i guess you'd call it for for uh not having anything better to call it but <laughs> lack of a better term to the cardinals yeah i mean they weren't going to go out and make a big splash in free agency they weren't going to make a huge trade they don't really have the chips to do something like that so how are we going to uh rinse the bad taste of 2010 out of our mouths and what they set themselves on was let's loosen up the clubhouse let's let's get a better attitude in here let's cut Felipe Lopez before the season's over let's get rid of Brendan Ryan a, a move that was largely unpopular amongst all sort of Cardinal fans never mind sabermetrics casual fan what have you. Um, but here they are, off to a 2-6 and six start, but you can see the guys in the dugout, and, and obviously this depends on your personal viewpoint. Some may chafe at the idea that Pujols strikes out and is in a, a pretty nasty slump to begin the season, and not 30 seconds after strike three, you see him in the dugout joking with somebody and smiling. Um... To some, that would rub them the wrong way. To me, I'm looking at it like, huh, are these guys really that loose? Could they really have remade this team's image and atmosphere in such a way that 2-6 and six isn't bugging them? I mean, 2-6 and six sure as hell was bugging the Boston Red Sox. It continues to haunt them, obviously. Uh, the Cardinals, meanwhile... They still have their issues, clearly. Um, but gosh, they could be in a much, much worse place right now. I, I think that it's it's really uh, refreshing, I guess you could say, that the way that this team is coming together so early on here, and I think it's going to pay dividends as the season goes on. It can't. It can't hurt. It, uh, that's that's you know, actually that's a better way of putting it. I'm, I'm clearly speaking optimistically. Uh, guys like Lance Berkman are only going to help players like Colby Rasmus realize just how good that they are. You know, um, boy, isn't guys that you know? Oh well. No, no, you're. I mean, that's the segue that I wanted to use was you. You pretty much hit on the head. You look at a guy that. 
if, if there's a if you if there's a 180 change that can be made, you look at what the Cardinals and what Kobe Rasmus went through last year, and you look at how comfortable he's always looked. I thought, in, at the top of the lineup, and Terrio makes it where you don't need to worry about Kobe Rasmus lead off where the team might have won him, but Colby himself said that's just not not for him. You see a much looser team on not only the base pass, but you see a team that's not afraid to take chances. You made a you made a note of it a few times, both in St. Louis and throughout the season so far. Larusa is doing things that he I don't think has ever done. Maybe as a manager, or especially not here, not not as the skipper in St. Louis. <laughs> And why not? Why not take those chances? And it's early enough in the year that things that didn't work the last couple of years when you're expected to win, why not try it now when nobody thinks you're going to win? <laughs> you know, I mean... Yeah, it's... You, you, said, you mentioned the Red Sox. And I think the Cardinals and the Red Sox are at two completely different ends of the spectrum. The Red Sox chose to spend all those dollars and, and you know, as they won their couple of titles and now they're pushing it because the Yankees are still coming down off of their high a little bit after winning. And the Red Sox just do not look like a team that's comfortable in their own skin. <laughs> and the Cardinals brought in guys that are perfect for the clubhouse. They're perfect for the makeup of a team that you want. That's a that's a, a true team because they've they've all been on winning ball clubs before. You know, as much as uh, I, I I didn't I didn't hate Terrio as a Cub. I, I respected the way that he played. I like that he's got the little chip on his shoulder that very few teams thought he was a starting shortstop anymore. Well. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Here we go. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Well, I I still think that the, the 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 best shortstop on the Cardinals team is Tyler Green, and I don't know if he's going to end up uh, in that spot this year, but I I definitely do feel that uh, the guys that they brought in, yes, they were brought in to help them win. But they were also brought in to change the mentality of the the Joe Mather and the the Brendan Ryan kind of uh, however you want to look at it maybe maybe more of a carefree. It's okay to have fun when you're playing baseball, but you also got to care about what you're doing. You got to play the game the right way. And guys like Ryan Terrio and Lance Berkman can help. You know, it's it's no uh, it, it it's no I can't put it into words, but. You know, both Colby Rasmus and Tyler Green were first-round draft picks in the same draft. It's no coincidence. That's what I'm looking for, that the players the Cardinals are bringing in were trying to change things for not just this year, but to help the Cardinals stay at a certain level because it seemed like that's what had been lost since the last time the Cardinals played in L.A. in the playoffs and shocked everybody, Cardinals fans, the baseball world alike, by not advancing farther in the playoffs. And I think that's why the team made the changes that they did. And hopefully Mosellock and, and Tony La Russa 
and ownership are all on the same page where, you know, to bring it full circle, they do what they need to do with the bullpen. But more importantly, if there's a deal out there that can be made to help the ball club win, maybe not so much of a Jake Westbrook move for this year, but they're not afraid to trade a guy like Ryan Ludwig, which I know we all were just, that was not, not a move that anybody saw coming, but if Freese doesn't get hurt, and they're able to put him back in the lineup. Completely different club. Oh, my God. You know, and that's, you know, you have to applaud. <laughs> and, and having that little question and answer session with Mosellock, I really respect the fact that he understands how hard his job is. You know, you can't make everybody happy. You just can't. But sometimes you have to look at the pieces and look how they fall into place and, and go, man, you know what we really need is this and do what it has to do to do it. That's why I honestly see Lance Lynn being traded, not because I want him to be dealt, but because I I do think that there's going to come a time, whether it's a, a back-of-the-end bullpen arm or it's just I, I get the sense that the Cardinals are willing if they're able to kind of, I hate to use the expression tread water, but they were, they've already able to overcome their start they're excited to come back home. They're excited to hopefully fill up the stands a little bit more than they have been. And if, if a deal needs to be made, the team's going to do what it needs to do, which <laughs> which has been proven the last three or four years when nobody thought that the Cardinals had the, uh, the pieces, if you will, to get certain moves done. Let's back up a second. Sure. Because we talked a little bit about, and folks, again, bear with us. This is version 0.5, and and we're just finally getting around to uh, doing something that we've talked about for a long time. Uh, Josh and I just putting on the headsets and and shooting the breeze about ball and about the Cardinals. Um, And so we're playing a little bit of catch-up, if you will. When... uh, when we first sat down to start talking, uh, I, I think we both thought that we might talk for about 20 minutes and, and just kind of feel this out and, and see how things would go. And as is our uh, natural style, we're now running on 45 minutes or so. Um, <laughs> to be expected. <laughs> <Nick>. Come on, <laughs> uh, Josh. I think we're. Uh, I think we're gonna drive off our three listeners with the first uh not even the first show the first half show that's okay we can break it into like 15 minute segments ah, and we'll have to come go. back for more there you go. <laughs> be a solid week's worth of listening there you go um i wanted to back it up just to, just uh to what we were discussing about the clubhouse being a little loose the team clearly found something last week that that turned on the switch flipped, whether it was Holiday coming back and just his presence in that lineup uh, or or just luck finally bouncing the Cardinals' way. Um, I, I think it is possible and it's, and it's probably likely to oversell the, the loose clubhouse angle um, and all that. Uh, I can't help but wonder, though, whether you couple that with the fact that all of a sudden expectations for 
this team are much lower than they have been in several years. Uh, By far. You know, there was the 09 season, the, I think we can call it disastrous exit in the playoffs. Certainly, there were a lot of folks that, despite the fact that the Cardinals didn't set the world on fire in the regular season in 2009, many still expected them to go deep in the playoffs, mostly, mostly because of their pitching. Um, and they did, you know, they had added Matt Holiday and uh, whatever. It it was what it was, um, but uh, so now um, they have their exit in the two th- in two thousand nine. Um, they have uh, the two thousand and ten season where you know again picked to be favorites. They kind of muddle along since he winds up more or less run away with it by the end uh, and, and now expectations are lower is there is there less pressure is it easier for that clubhouse to be loose not only because they've in theory rebuilt the cogs in that clubhouse but sh- surely you know to a man I don't think anyone in the Cardinal clubhouse would admit to you that they felt any pressure or or the pressure was affecting their performance, but we're all human. It has to play in, right? Last year, and and you know, part of it I think was uh, the Brendan Ryan fiasco, whatever you want to call it, where he just he, uh, he he's not a head case, but a lot of the things that he brought to the the team in '09 were distractions in 2010. And the Cardinals as a whole were not built. There were so many. I won't call. I won't call them holes. But that whole lineup, and especially the guys like Alan Craig and John Jay and David Fries, it was almost like they were playing not to lose. They weren't playing to win. If there was anything that happened, an injury or um, if, if somebody faltered. It's, it almost seemed like those guys were playing, looking over their shoulders, wondering, okay, are they going to bring somebody in to replace me if I'm not able to get the job done? You know, are they going to go out and get a DeRosa type or is is not so much on par with Matt Holiday, but are they going to make a deal for uh, a shortstop? Or it's just, it, it almost seemed like they, you can call it the loose factor if you want. What I called it was... I almost think that Larusa lost control of his his clubhouse even before it started, and that's not really Mosellock's fault. I don't think it's really Tony's fault. It was based on the options you were given in spring training going into the 2010 year. You didn't have any choice but to rely on these guys, and it's not that they weren't maybe ready for it, but you look at what they brought in this year, and you got guys that are going to tell them, look, it's a, it's a long freaking year. Baseball is a long game, and a couple of stretches here, and look at Pujols especially. Who would have ever thought that no matter what, that a guy like Albert Pujols is going to have the type of a start to a year that he did this year? I mean, it was just, it was almost, you, you wanted to wake up and go, 
and pinch yourself and say, is this really happening? You know, because of how consistent he's been for a decade. So Right. I think it's easy to get caught up, too, in the fact that he started off the season that way. Oh, yeah. Uh, obviously, Albert's had slumps before, uh, but most often when he's had slumps, they haven't been to begin the season. So he's had a slump that's dropped his average from 340 mid-season to 315. Oh yeah. yeah. It's a serious slump, but it's a lot easier to overlook when he's still got 20 home runs already. Um, well, so I, I think so, and, and and I'm not I'm not being critical of of you and and what you said. I think just generally speaking, some perspective is necessary. Just like, well, no, the Franklin situation's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> well. This, when when you made that point, Nick, what it reminded me of too is the fact that Holiday missed, you know, obviously fewer games than most people thought he would. But when you take him out of the equation, and you know, and, and I'll delve into one of my other points here in just a minute. But the thing I like so much about it is you put Holiday back in there, and it makes everybody that much more comfortable because you're not really playing out of position in the lineup. Mm-hmm. You know, the way the lineup is now, I don't mind Skip in the number eight hole because he's not really hitting. But to me, the reason they made him a second baseman in the first place was to get his bat in the lineup. And if his bat's not there, how do you not justify, you know, possibly breaking one of Tony's core elements and replacing Skip Schumacher with maybe somebody that's uh, a better all-around player? But that's (laughs) that's another topic for another day. You look at the lineup from top to bottom, it's hard to find, you know, a, a spot in there that you can really pitch around somebody because the way Berkman, Freese, and, and Molina starting to get hot, you can't really take the chance and <laughs> and uh, thinking, well, I'll just pitch to the next guy because Freese burned him with that yesterday. You know, they pitched around Berkman, and, and Freese is the one that did the damage and possibly could have that could have been what we're talking about instead of uh ryan franklin indeed and one other point that i want to make and this should not be misconstrued by any means as a uh as letting ryan franklin off the hook but i think they're also in the grand scheme of things lost in the shuffle and all this Trevor Miller didn't do his job either. No, he didn't. Everyone's quick nope. to place the blame on Franklin because the history's there, and I'm not well, and I'm not yeah. saying he doesn't deserve a lot of it. But it's important to note too that Trevor Miller didn't do his job either. If Miller gets Ethier out before Franklin comes in, it's a tie ball game, or he pitches to Kemp differently. So true. While it's convenient to place the blame on Franklin, and all it's all yesterday's game, the end to yesterday's game did was magnify a larger problem. It's not just that game; it's it's the sum of the games. And and going back to the end of last season, even with Franklin, but there there will be games like yesterday's where 
going into the bottom of the ninth, the team is in a position to win. Those are games that they absolutely must win. With Wainwright out, uh, with even with the streak they had last week, still question marks about certain certain positions in the batting order, um, and and where the production is going to come from outside of Pujols and Holiday. Strangely enough, the production hasn't been coming from Pujols, so maybe that no. question's been answered a little bit, but. Um, that's going to hang around all year. And until the team shows an ability to win a one nothing game, a 2-1 game, I mean, I didn't see the game yesterday. I saw the score. I saw the result, what had happened to get there. And all I could think to myself is I, I, I'm not sure I could have watched uh, I was spoiled yeah. by the blowouts. Uh, yeah. You know, anymore I sit and I watch a ninth inning and the Cardinals have a two-run lead and, and my stomach's turning. Well, that's that's why you made a great point about Miller, and that's the main reason why I'm reluctant to go with uh, the bullpen by committee that, that you know Bernie Miklas or Steve Summer or even kind of Daniel, it's... The big question is, okay, Franklin's out of there. Who do you turn to? And that's that also becomes the the single most head scratching thing is typically on most ball clubs there there is a guy that pitches the eighth that you'd say, well, yeah, that's the guy you throw into the ninth. The problem with the Cardinals, they've never really been that type of a you know they've had certain guys over the course of the last five, six, ten years that you looked at and said, well, if something happened to Isringhausen or, you know, there's a guy that we'd pencil in there to, to possibly to get it down with if it was a, a rough springer on occasion or if it was, you know, a, a few guys here or there. This, this year's bullpen isn't built that way, and that's what's going to be interesting to see is – if they do make the move, which I think everybody, at least temporarily, something needs to happen, is is it Mitchell Boggs' time? Is it uh, Jason Mott 2.0? Is it, you know, that's going to be the, the interesting thing is if Trevor Miller gets this done or if, if Ryan Franklin gets the call that was it looked like strike three it, there's you know there's too many ifs and and the big thing is no matter how fluky some of ryan franklin's losses have been bottom line is your job as a closer is to get that last out of the game to secure the win for your team and if you're not getting that done no amount of knuckleballs or whatever some of the weird old pitches he's been throwing out there this year <laughs> it's not going to it's not going to justify if... Don't get me started on that bogus nook. <laughs> but I will Holy tell you... Holy criminy. That, that, that was the other point I wanted to make. I, I've been I've been kind of taking your approach because the other thing that we have in common is our work schedule is so off the wall that even though I get a chance to watch some of the games, I'm still having to, to DVR them and watch them at later times. I actually stayed away from the entire blogosphere until Sunday, and I watched all three 
of the last four Dodgers games in one fell swoop, pretty much. Holy smoke. <laughs> and a lot of fast-forwarding through commercials, and the one thing that I That's a lot of seeing, runs in one day. It is a lot of runs, and I tell you, that that's what made Sunday's game so hard to watch. A 0-0 affair is usually one of my favorite... <laughs> it's usually one of my favorite games to watch, but it was hard to watch because the longer it went on, I knew in the back of my head that that meant Franklin was going to get the call in the ninth, and it, it's just and when the, almost to and that. And when the Cardinals didn't have an eight-run top, eight run top of the ninth, you were totally yeah. disappointed. You know, because it's almost <laughs> worse than when Isringhausen would come in. Because you knew Izzy was, would make it interesting, but the one thing about Izzy is he usually always nailed it down. He, he might have loaded the bases to do it, but he get it done, and you just don't get that same feeling. You just don't get the the feeling that you got the last couple of years with Franklin that you kind of still looked at him and said, this guy's our closer, but then you get the job done and say, yep, he's our closer. The thing that uh, I like about the, the revamped Fox Sports Midwest uh, uh, announcers is rotating the three of them, especially when it's Rick Horton and Al Herbosky, they can actually kind of give you a couple of a, a two different takes on when it's actually what it feels like to, to be out there on the mound and what some of these guys might be going through. And they hit it on the head to me with Franklin as they said he just doesn't look comfortable out there. He just doesn't look like he knows what he's going to go out there and throw. He doesn't look like when they they give the sign, he just doesn't have that appearance of the type of guy that knows where it's going to go. Or I'm not saying he's going to turn into like a Mark Wollers or, you know, God forbid, Rick Ankiel, where he doesn't know where the ball is going to go. He knows where the ball is going to go. He just doesn't have the same confidence in his pitches, and that's not a type of guy that you can hand the ball over in a one nothing game and say, go get the last three outs. Franklin used to be the type of guy I didn't care if the bases were loaded or what the score was. When they brought him in, you knew that he was going to throw these just, you know, he was going to give you so many different looks that the, the batter couldn't get comfortable in there. His stuff wasn't going to be overpowering. He wasn't ever going to be the type of guy that that had to rely on his stuff. He was a guy that, he, you know, call it what you will, that, that craftiness or, <laughs> you know, what, however however you want to describe it. Is that the pitching version of Scrappy? <laughs> I think it is. I think probably that's the reason why he's lasted as long as he have. I saw your tweets earlier about uh, Sam Fold, and that made me laugh because uh, – you know, for Tony La Russa, It's funny because somebody, like, yeah. I, I got a response a little bit ago. Uh, someone was <laughs> asking me if Fold could close. <laughs> well, if Aaron Miles can pitch, I'm sure that they can. Ayo. Now that we've uh, wound up with an Aaron Miles reference. Uh, off the mound, of course. Christine yeah. will be happy. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, once again, my friend, we've managed to ramble on for over an hour. But like I said, if we break this up into chunks, it doesn't seem like it's that. That's long. true, that's true, and we now have the the power and the ability, uh, if not the knowledge, to be able <laughs> to do that. <laughs> um. 
so I guess uh, we'll wrap things up. Um, and in doing so, uh, as we close out uh, episode 0. 0.5 of the Pitchers Hit 8th podcast, uh, for which we'll have a snappier name at some point, Josh will come up with something really witty. Um, Josh, you know, we haven't really laid out a whole lot of plans for what we're going to do with this thing. Um, I can't envision it being on a very regular schedule. Um, but as evidenced by, uh, this particular recording, I think that, uh, when we do have the opportunity to sit down, I always enjoy talking ball with you, pal. And, uh, and I think we'll, uh, when we don't have to play catch up because we haven't talked ball for such a long time, then uh, maybe we'll be able to stay a little bit more on point and, and talk a little bit more about current events than uh, the state of the uh, clubhouse hive mind. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I can't think of a better. Uh, uh, you know, there's so few off days and the calendar season once the once the the you know the clock hits april that uh there's nothing better to do on an off day than talk some cardinals baseball indeed indeed and that's a great point too keeping that in mind and this will be a challenge for you and i undoubtedly but uh you know we've also i know that you and i have also talked uh off mic a little bit about uh maybe like you said, breaking this up, trying to break it up into uh, we can uh, we can do a little do a little 15 minute, 20 minute pops here and there. Doesn't always have to be the uh, two hour marathon that we've grown accustomed to. But um, hopefully, uh, if any of you reading the site listen to this and and find some small parts of it that you need that you enjoy you'll uh, give us some feedback let us know what you think and uh, hopefully we'll be able to settle into a groove and find a sweet spot that keeps everybody happy so that uh, we're not rambling on and on about uh, contract extensions when we're only two weeks into the season and etc <laughs> <laughs> etc et but uh, um Josh, as always, uh, great talking to you. Hopefully we'll get some feedback from the folks at the site on, on uh, whether we should continue to even do this at all. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's good for us, if nobody else. And uh, I'm sure our wives enjoy our ramblings on Oh, no doubt about it. <laughs> if nothing else... I, if nothing else, it's bound to be entertaining if the Cardinals start signing the likes of uh, Randy Wynn, et cetera, et cetera, again during, over the uh, course of this season because then uh, we might be able to earn ourselves an R rating. Uh, bite your tongue if there's ever <laughs> a, uh, you know, Pedro Feliz uh, sighting uh, any, any, anywhere near uh, the Cardinals' dugout. So it's... Uh, the one thing I can hope for is that the Cardinals did their, they, they did all that to start. 
you know, they, they hit all that on the head before the season started, so they wouldn't have to do it. No doubt. Midway through. No doubt. All right. All right, well, buddy. Uh, signing off again, episode 0.5. This was a bit of a <laughs> an extended test run, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> uh, it's the only way we know how to do things. If you're if you've listened this far, thanks. You, you've got a lot more faith in this than Josh or I did, I think. And uh, hopefully you'll you'll uh, give us some feedback and uh, be around for version 1.0. Um, until next time, I'm Nick, PitchersHit8.com. And I'm Josh. Also, don't forget to check us out at uh, wherever we may be. You never know where we'll pop up next. Josh, great talking ball with you again. And uh, <laughs> as I said, I, I, I won't commit us to a regular schedule f- uh, for the time being. So until we have an opportunity to sit down and chat again, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Uh, go Cards. Take it easy, guys.